Hello and welcome back to another episode of Full of Energy, an AEE podcast where we talk about workforce development, energy hot topics, and energy policy. The Association of Energy Engineers, otherwise known as AEE, is a professional organization of over 17,000 members and 32,000 actively certified individuals in over 100 countries. AEE serves your needs for career development, networking, and recognition. Today, we are going to bridge the gap of energy management and workforce development. While energy management and climate action are at the top of our minds technically, how do we get there with our current workforce? That's why we have Andrew Cooper and Severio Grosso, the two experts joining us today to explain how to engage employees in energy management. Let's hear from the experts themselves. Andrew, do you mind introducing yourself? Thanks, uh, Laurie Beth. It's great to be part of this podcast and have the opportunity to share something I'm passionate about with your with your listeners. I help organizations with energy and GSG management solutions uh, to reduce energy costs and support their decarbonization objectives. As we will chat about today, uh, employees are the key to achieving those uh, objectives. When I was at New Gold's New Afton Mine in BC, Canada, I initiated and led the implementation of ISO 50001. It was the first uh, implementation at a mine in North America. This resulted in significant operational and energy savings equivalent to more than 15% of the annual energy use. So I've got a, a good understanding of the role culture and employees play in the success of an energy and GHG management system. Uh, I was honored uh, to be presented with an AE International Energy Management of the Year Award and uh, humbled to be inducted as an AE Fellow in recognition of, of achievements over the years. Um, I'm married to my amazing wife, Kim, who's a, a brilliant strategist and uh, the support behind everything I've been fortunate enough to achieve. Um, listeners who are interested in hearing more can connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Andrew Cooper Energy, and uh, can subscribe to my monthly Energy Matters newsletter um, for interesting, informative, and insightful views on energy management and GSG reductions. And looking forward to the podcast. Severio, what about you? My name is Severio Grosso, and I'm with OptIn Consultants. Um, I'm proud and honored to be here and, and extremely grateful to be here with someone as uh, acknowledged in the industry for his expertise as Andrew. Um, Anyone who I, I highly recommend you all check out his uh, his LinkedIn as well as his, his feed. It's great information out there. Uh, my background I've, I've served in the industry industry for a little bit more than twenty years. Uh, my role has varied throughout the course of that time frame, starting from holding the ladder for someone cutting insulation before we did pump testing, to managing full scale uh, energy programs for healthcare organizations and helping develop legislature in New York. I think having the experiences throughout those uh, different roles in the industry really allowed me the, the comfort level to understand every single day's operations vary. And working very closely with people is the most important aspect of project success. I could sit and look at 20 years of experience and, and project success stories, but they all come down to one thing, great relationships good collaboration between the staff and the team, and working hard together to solve issues. And everyone at the end of the day feels like they've been valuable in achieving some level of success. So I'm looking forward to being on, on the podcast today and, and sharing some thoughts and some ideas. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity. 
Well, no one can deny that you two are both great assets to AEE and also to the energy community at large. So why don't we go ahead and jump into those questions, starting with why do you believe employees are one of the keys to success of an energy management system? Andrew, do you want to go first? Uh, sure, that's that's a, it's a it's a wonderful sort of question to ask because what I find, and it's elaborating on what Severia was saying a little bit earlier on about uh, great relationships and collaboration, because at the end of the day, it's it's people, not systems, who who manage energy, and. Energy management is, is multi-faceted. I mean, there's so many aspects to it, from monitoring and reporting to energy audits and studies to project implementation and to engaging employees. And every single one of those activities involves, in some way, people. So it, it's people are an essential part of a system. Without them doing playing their role in that system, the system falls apart. So people are key to to the success of the system. I couldn't agree more with what Andrew said. I, I think what's so, when we think about buildings just in general, they're there to serve a purpose. And the, the purpose is to take care of people. I always used to share with my, my colleagues, when we're doing a project, whether it's an energy audit or retro commissioning, the client might be the, you know, the name on the building, but it's really the client is who they serve. It's this, the tenants in the space. If it's a, if we're working within a hospital, really the, the people that we have to think about when we're doing our projects are the patients. So uh, Andrew made a great point about it's not just systems because I think very easily we can get into the habit of looking at improving systems, finding ways to cut energy, doing all these things. But at the end of the day, there are people managing the systems, there are people operating those systems, and there are people those systems serve. So when we really look at employees, they're important and involved because they understand day-to-day -day operations. They can very easily be the ones who implement the practices. And you can look at things like behavioral change, operational efficiency, um, all these things that are just getting feedback from people within the space. All those things could really contribute to this culture of continual improvement. If you just look at the systems, you're going to miss that very human element, which is so valuable to getting us wherever we need to go. That's a great point. You know, they got that the the seven great wastes in life is that, that whole lean acronym for for the great waste, Tim Wood or whatever sort of acronym you use. But there's an eighth one, which is people, and it's come exactly to what you're saying. There's a very how, how people are critical to to identifying those opportunities and making the system function. Without them, it falls apart. Right. So with that in mind, um, what kind of challenges do organizations and even like building personnel teams um, operations, what are some of those challenges that they face when trying to engage employees, um, you know, creating a culture of energy awareness, and then even some of those reduction strategies, what are some of those challenges that not only operations, but just organizations in general face? So I'll jump in on this one. I think some of the challenges that they face is disengagement, right? When we think we have to engage our employees and then in order to build a culture around energy awareness, we really have to understand what's the goal at the beginning. And very often I think there might be goals at the leadership level, 
but they don't always trickle down all the way to the personnel who operate the space. And, and you know, when you look at this, you know, I'll use hospitals again as an example, leadership may make a, a, a choice to go after some goal, whether it's carbon reductions or energy reductions or cost savings. But at the end of the day, the operators are really there focusing on keeping the lights off, keeping the air conditioning, you know, the certain temperatures, making pressurization. So very often, if it comes from the top down and it isn't shared well, there can be resistance to change. There could be a lack of awareness or even understanding of why they're pursuing these energy issues. Um, competing priorities and limited resources. Have, do I save energy or do I take care of the, the patients? Do I cut back airflows or do I install more, infil more filters because of something like COVID? Um, these difficulties, it can really become a challenge in keeping employees engaged over the long term. Uh, you need clear communication and training. You need good goals and expectations. Um, and there has to be almost an, uh, an enrollment from leadership standpoint of everyone involved in the process to ensure that they're really understanding why they're there and what they're doing. And it could be, it could be challenging. And, at, you know, my perspective always uh, as someone who's worked in buildings and has taught building operators through the years and some of the consulting engagements and, and the training that I provide, building operations is a thankless job. You know, you show up, you keep the lights on, you keep it comfortable. No one ever calls down and says, Hey, it's perfectly comfortable today. They only get calls when it's, you know, when it's uncomfortable, when it's hot, when it's cold. So very often it's tough for them to see like the work that they do is so valuable towards these other goals. So you really have to communicate to them the, the importance of what they do on a day-to-day -day and how that touches, you know, a larger picture. So there has to be good communication and, and support. It really comes down to, I think, just good support engaging them in that way. It's um. So when you asked the question, Rebe, three three things came to mind. The first one was, was really what Severio has touched on is really a lot to do with awareness. A lot of organizations don't really fully understand the value and energy aware culture can, can add. Uh, I mean, GSG reductions in an industrial setting, I'm not too sure about the, the building commercial hospitalization space, uh, Severio, but GSG reductions... Uh, just from waste elimination can account for like up to 15% of your, your total GSGs. It's giving a nod there. It's obviously pretty, pretty standard. And people are out there most of the time and they see where the opportunities lie. They know what's happening. They know where savings can be had. And there's sometimes a lack of awareness about what those people can actually bring in the value they add to identifying those, those opportunities. Uh, the second one is that came to mind is sort of builds on that is recognizing that people when they make suggestions so there's, there's a there's nothing worse there's, there's only one thing worse than making a suggestion and, and asking someone for just suggestion is that is just not not acting on that suggestion you ask a suggestion it's like someone says to you oh, how can we improve service and you give them a suggestion you go back the next time and the service is exactly the same and you just don't want to give any more suggestions again so if you ask for ways to improve efficiency reduce ghgs act on those suggestions even if it means looking at it and saying going back to the person saying thanks for the suggestion that was a great idea unfortunately it's not going to work this time we've looked at it, it's not feasible not practical and if you do implement it uh then feedback on what you've done and, and the benefits of it. Uh, we, we ran a, a, a campaign 
the one day or the one year we ran a campaign to achieve some objectives and a big component was that around recognizing people for for those suggestions and then the last one and this is particularly linked to an industrial setting i don't know about on your side severio is that 70 to 80 percent of an industrial workforce generally do not have access to to computers so a lot of people want to engage employees or through a, an email campaign or a email blast or even a, a very enthusiastic tweet but a lot of people don't have that access to the computers and they don't see that so it's understanding you need to go to where the people are and sometimes that can be an error someone thinks well we can run a campaign through email blasts and it's just not going to work so those are just some thoughts about some of the challenges organizations face in getting the message out there and building the, the culture right I, I think you made a great point andrew just the idea of very often there's awareness and ideas that already exist. It's pulling that information out of the building operators, but you need to, you need to first earn their trust so that they can share it. And you make a great point about if they do share and you implement it, there should be some level of recognition there to, to motivate them and to inspire others to maybe follow in their footsteps. Um, but it takes that communication. And, and to your point, you know, sending an email about energy conservation practices to somebody who's trying to, you know, meet air change requirements in a hospital or take care of, you know, uh, fixing some equipment that's just failed and it's the most critical component, they're not going to see that email. So you really almost need to meet them where they are first before mm -hmm. you can even consider taking them to the next level. So you, yeah. great point. And it reminded me of a, with this, this campaign we ran at, in terms of recognizing people and getting back to them it must have been a one, or one and a half years to two years later, someone had made a suggestion and this prompted a whole study and investigation and we came to a point where we were going to implement it. And I set up a, a, a workflow in, in Teams on a SharePoint list so that people would get notified if there was a change to their suggestion that they'd logged. And I was literally one and a half to two years later, this, this guy who worked received a notification that we were doing this project and he was so excited, so happy and so involved and... <laughs> enthusiastic about it that just because he had feedback on on what was happening so getting back to people is key so how important is an energy management system in fostering an energy aware culture at an organization i'll maybe just just kick off on this because building an energy aware culture is not a, a once-off event it's not something you do one email blast with one tweet with one whatever it may be it, it takes time and it takes continuity and Without a system, you lose focus, production requirements supersede, and people just focus on production, getting what needs to be done, and energy gets ignored. But you sort of, you, you cannot do it, and I'm sure you found this, uh, Severia, in your, in your um, experience. We need a system that's supported by sort of a cross-functional team, people from different departments who all have a role to play in the way energy management is, is organized at the company. There's procurement, there's operations, safety, Training all the all the organisations need to be involved in in that uh, in developing that sort of culture and uh, an energy management system supported by that cross functional team helps incorporate energy management into the sort of business practices of organisations that becomes what everyone does on a day to day basis and that is what drives the continuity that is what focuses uh, on on the long term um, and. So, you know, like ISO 50001, I know I initiated and led the, the implementation of, of ISO 50001. And 
it's a great example of a system which helps to drive an energy culture and build awareness and drive energy culture all the way from the onboarding orientation all the way through to training on, on your energy uses, involving employees, engaging employees, communicating with employees. So it's a it's a very long-winded way to say it's the system which is is is, is key to making it successful. I, I fully agree. And I, I think one of the things you said too, just that, and I think we've both said it a few times already. Um, so if anyone home playing a drinking game along when we say the word culture, I mean, culture is so important. It, it's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that you do once to your point and, and that's it. It requires almost a continual awareness and, and a good energy management system starts out with some goal and it starts out with a reason, right? We all go to work because there's a reason, there's a purpose for what we want to do. A good system will provide that framework for monitoring, for controlling, and then figuring out whatever, however you can optimize things. Um, but to your point, like when you bring other folks in, you also get to start promoting awareness between different organizations, different business units within the within that business. Um, accountability, all of a sudden now folks want to step up and they really want to be part of something larger, especially if there's, you know, the minute you start attaining some of those goals, even if they're the smaller level ones, you build momentum. And when you, you can track your progress and then start providing that feedback to your employees, you create this in encouragement where people take ownership of what's happened. They take ownership of their habits. They take ownership of the savings that are there um, and building. I mean, I, I always go back to building operators just as, as uh, individuals, but they're, they take ownership. They take pride in the work that they do. And, and I've never met building operators who didn't take a, you know, a personal feeling towards taking care of their systems and making sure it runs right. They, in fact, many of them want that support. So if you can see that all of a sudden now you take their ownership and their awareness and they start getting some, you know, some small wins and they build momentum. Now, all of a sudden you have this collective mindset where everyone's moving together and they're all going towards one goal. Um, and that's where some incredible things happen because you get the, the different perspectives of, you mentioned, like you bring in procurement, you know, the operator has one perspective, but now a building manager provides different perspective. Procurement person provides different perspective. You can Im involve tenants or, or people within the space. And all of a sudden now you start opening up to different ideas that you didn't think of in the first place. And it creates this teamwork. And that that's really what the culture is. The culture is people show up and they want to participate in it as opposed to kind of being told you're doing this. It, it's really, it changes everything a lot around. So have you found there's a different sort of approach to developing a culture around the building operators and a culture with your with, with the, the tenants or, or the people who occupy the space? That's a that's a great question. Great point, too. Everyone. So we wear different hats. The, the joke is always we're doing the same task, but the way you frame it with others is is, is vital. So a building operator might not worry about a greenhouse gas emissions goal reduction program. That you know, that to them it's just a number. But if you tell them, listen, we're going to figure out how we can optimize your system, make it more efficient, make it more resilient, eliminate comfort calls. All of a sudden now, their you know their hands are going up. They're saying yes, we want to participate. The outcome of that might be energy savings, but the way you share it with them is, you know, almost 
what what do they feel is valuable? And once we can frame, because it's valuable to everyone, it's just everyone has a different perspective. You know, I always use a, a bad example of if I go and I buy, I was purchasing the car for uh, my 18 year old son. He wanted something that was fast, that was red, it was shiny. My wife wanted something that was safe. I wanted something that was, you know, energy efficient, so I didn't have to pay all that money for gas. At the end of the day, we were all looking at one car, but what we were looking for, the features and the values were different to each of us. And as long as, if, you know, the car that we selected was one that met all that criteria, and it just, we all walked away happy. And I think when we can do that with building operations and managers and tenants and find out what matters to them and ensure that the work we're doing at, you know, means something to them, then, it, then everyone wants to participate in it. But it is it, it is important how we frame it. Yeah. So you frame the message to suit the audience. Suit the audience. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Thanks. I know you guys both just kind of talked a little bit about tactics around you know speaking to different people in the organization and even you know framing it differently for each type of people that you talk to. But what are some of the other innovative ways you've engaged employees in energy management? I, I think some innovative ways we can engage employees. Um, everyone likes the game where, where energy saving behaviors are rewarded and incentivized. Andrew, what you mentioned earlier about like get somebody feedback, even if it's a year later and they see that the work that they did was incentivized or there was, they were rewarded for it. That's a great way to get people involved in it. Um, I've seen places, some pharmaceuticals that I've worked with, they've created friendly competitions or, or even challenges in New York city. Uh, there was a mayor's challenge where different organizations participated in, um, the other aspect is, you know, it sounds silly, but make it a competition between, you know, buildings and, and building personnel. I, I know one hospital in New York that they actually compete each, you know, first shift, second shift, third shift. They compete to see which chiller plant has the best KW per ton for the week. And then at the end of the week, there's no actual reward other than bragging rights. But it's it's a nice way for to build camaraderie, to build uh, relationships, and to build ideas of like, hey, what are you guys doing on first shift that you're always so much better than we are? And it's that idea where at one point you'll wind up with employee-led energy teams and people within the company kind of sharing ideas with each other. Um, and that's really w when it becomes a collaborative effort. Uh, but I think it has to be in, in it has to be engaging at first. You, you have to kind of want to make someone participate in it. Otherwise, it's just another task on the list. When you, when you talk about that, it reminded me of a campaign we ran. We, we got to a point one year where there was uh, the, the company had uh, had to achieve a annual objective and one big project was, was canceled. So we said, well, what do we do now? How do we go about achieving this uh, objective we'd set? So we thought, well, okay, let's go to the employees. The whole objective was a, we wanted to achieve 105 we wanted to achieve a certain target through Im implementation of, of, of low or no cost suggestions from employees. And we came up with my three-step strategy I came up. First one, as you mentioned, incentivize. People want to be rewarded. I mean, <laughs> I've seen like beer, beer, beer swilling, pizza eating, couch potatoes turn into health conscious fitness advocates just for a campaign, just for the chance to win a, a cap with a company logo. So incentivize people to make suggestions and that's a great way to do it and we worked on on random draws for suggestions and so not everybody who made a suggestion got won a prize but there was a random draw if you did make a suggestion it gives it a chance a competition a chance of winning 
The next one was, was simplify, make it simple, because people don't want to take hours to try implement it, try make a suggestion. They don't want to have to do an analysis. They don't want to have to make it a whole process. So simplify it, because if it's too complicated, people will hate it. So make it simple. So even if you type as quickly as I do, you can submit a suggestion in, in, in one minute. Make it simple, and then last one, recognize people who made suggestions. So that was the one 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 campaign we ran, we actually ended up achieving 105% of the annual objective just from the implementation of these suggestions. So it was a wow. remarkable, remarkable success. So that was sort of one big campaign that we ran on. And then something else that came to mind was about making it relatable to people. Often in uh, in a facility, I don't know, but in, in the building environment, uh, Severia, but people don't relate to how much energy is being used. They don't relate to the cost. So we try to make points of campaigns to make it relatable to people so it affects their pocket we came up with campaigns that people would uh, we bought some of these fluor one thermal cameras that you can plug into your into your smartphone and we loaned them out to people we set up a facebook group so people could come and comment to make suggestions and talk about we found this and i found this in my log cabin and i had to put caulking in here to reduce this leak in the log cabin save me energy reduce my energy costs we also did a thing with home energy monitors we work with the Yoke local utility to uh, for employees to buy these home energy monitors through the local, local utility at a discounted rate. So if they bought one, we would subsidize it. And then the cost of that meter, they could get back from the utility if they achieved a certain amount of savings. So if they did what they need to do, it was free of charge. So we sponsored this, engaged people, got conversations going. And folks were finding incredible things. One guy came, he said, you know, I kept on seeing the spike in my power at, at two o'clock in the morning. He says, I discovered that the thermostat in my bathroom floor heater was, was offset by a few hours and my floor heater was coming on for nothing at two o'clock in the morning. Wow. Making it relatable to people was, was an important way we find of, of creating that culture. Right. Yeah, I, I had heard a, uh, one of the pharmaceutical companies I worked with years ago put stickers in all their labs on the fume hoods to advise people that the energy used for that fume hood is equal to what powers their entire home. And it's just, to your point, all of a sudden it's, you know, you start thinking about every little bit that matters. Um, and it does, it creates that awareness. So oh, that's a great idea. So how have you found, have you found any ways to make energy relatable to, to people? Because often people don't know what a kilowatt hour is or a, Ton of CO2. Have you found ways of making it more relatable? Uh, the simplest way I've, I've found is money. <laughs> once <laughs> once you once you equate something to a cost that they're used to paying, um, I, I always joke that one of the projects I worked on, we, we would save you know uh, you know tremendous amount of energy, whether it was uh, dollars or, or uh, KBTUs. And I remember once we presented over $20 million worth of savings for, you know, a conglomerate of hospitals over a course of five years. And the first person raised their hand and said, well, what does that equate to in trees or acres? Right. So for them, it was trying to cor correlate it to something that they understood was valuable and important. And all of a sudden, when you say, well, we've saved X amount of dollars or this amount of KBTUs or this amount of tons. And by the way, that's equivalent to this entire town on Long Island. It's like, wow, that's all of a sudden now it starts, you know, the, the numbers get there. But once you start saying how much something costs as compared to something people are used to paying for, that's a that's a pretty good driver. I suppose that's where it comes nice having folks from different departments 
supporting the initiatives because not everyone in those departments knows the technical side. So bouncing off them and saying, well, is this relatable? And getting right. that honest feedback from people saying, look, look, you, you out to lunch, you being too scientific or highfalutin, yeah. So <laughs> dumb it down for us and make it simple so we can understand it. So cool. we've talked a lot about communication, getting people to the table, getting some buy-in from employees, tenants, and even people at their house. But one important workforce development point we haven't talked about is training. So can you provide some su examples of successful energy reduction programs where training played a crucial role in empowering people in building operations and personnel to achieve significant results? Sure. So I, I can share just uh, one that hits close home to me is um, I've worked, I've worked as, a, as a consultant, but also as an instructor for many years. Um, and what I've found combining those two uh, kind of roles when we're working with our clients made tremendous improvements and, and also uh, left the building better than when we found it. And there, you know, there are several successful reduction programs out there that uh, things like UPA, um, EPA's Energy Star program, which offers training and resources to building operators. Um, another great example is a class that I've taught for over a decade, which is the Building Operator Certification Program. Um, that's it's a nationally recognized certification that provides comprehensive training on energy management and then, and maintenance practices as well. Um, the other thing that there's uh, some of the local universities uh, um, for New York, I know the, the CUNY's Building Performance Lab, um, AEE provides education programs. A lot of different associations provide it. But one of the programs that um, I manage at Optin Consultants, one of the ones we manage with a, a healthcare organization, is a blending of in-class training with on-site training. Because all those programs are valuable because they provide a lot of technical information. But one of the other successful programs that we ran at one of the hospitals in New York, we did the training program, the BOC certification. But at the same time, we also went into the field with their operators. It created the technical information up front, but then it became very relatable as we were just talking about it, Andrew. And it was, it was successful for them, not only for the savings, but because they now had operators who were excited about coming into work and, and looking at their systems differently than just pieces of equipment. So as you saying that it was a sort of link between the textbook and, and reality, that sort of experiential learning you found really fast-tracked it and enabled it, eh? Yes, yes. I, I think, I mean, I'm broadly speaking, but most building operators are kinesthetic learners, right? We, we, we do well when we have an opportunity to take something apart. You know, you talk to most operators and even many engineers, right? They're, they were the kids who took apart their radios when they got them from their parents, or they were the ones who put made, you know, built their own computers. There's a hands-on aspect to it. So very often when you take somebody out of their normal setting of a mechanical room and you bring them into a classroom, there's learning that happens, but the minute you can bring it back into their, into their domain of where their expertise relies, all of a sudden it's different because now they, they're taking something you know, tangible and practical and they're actually implementing it as opposed to just you know, theory, theorizing around it. It comes back to what we were talking about earlier with making it relatable and, and positioning it to a different audience. The same thing with, with, with training and creating awareness. You, you want to know who your audience is, what they relate to. If they are kinesthetic learners, then you, you cater to that. You've got to say, well, 
these folks aren't interested in just blah 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 they need to be out there doing this or that some people they just like okay just the facts give me the facts and so catering your message catering your training to to your audience so again it's considering what people need and catering to that eh? right right and and the funny part i mean as an instructor I wouldn't want to listen to me for eight hours a day. It would bore me to sit there for eight hours and talk. So it's so much more encouraging and, and engaging of a class when it's sharing back and forth. Um, one of the one of my favorite classes was one where we did some training like that. And, I, you know, I know my expertise and I know what I'm capable of. Um, but there's there are operators I deal with that I might have been in the industry 20 years. They've worked in that, you know, that mechanical plant for 20 years just there. So their their knowledge and experience is way beyond mine when it comes to their specific system. So what winds up happening is they start teaching others in the in the class because as an instructor it's it's no longer lecturing. It's more of here's what I would do. What would you think? And now all of a sudden they're almost encouraging and bringing each other up. Um, and you wind up seeing almost pairing where someone who has a great skill set when it comes to controls and someone who has a great skill set when it comes to air handlers or boilers or fillers, now they're all in the same room together and they're speaking the same language. It's structured around technical, but they're helping each other. And at that point now, you know, that's where magic happens because they're start, you're going to have someone who doesn't know tillers ask a question that might seem silly. But then you go, wait a sec, we've never thought of that because we know so much about it, right, that we're so experienced that we forget sometimes to step outside of the box and think about something different. So that collaboration between groups like that can really spark some new ideas. Very With your passion and enthusiasm and experience, understanding of people, I don't think you have any problem keeping people engaged for eight hours. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you, Andrew. I think one of the great things about AE also is how many different certification programs we have. And one thing that I hear over and over again is how um, the practical information, the technical information given with real life examples and people brainstorming in class and um, telling their own stories and how they're saving energy and stuff at a larger scale. It is such great information, a way to network, to definitely attend training sessions. They're varied. Um but you have different people who take them. So you might be in one for new construction commissioning and there's somebody in there who's a CEM and they might make a connection between commissioning to an energy practice or an energy audit. And now all of a sudden it, it just expands your possibilities, which is always a good thing. Yeah. Now I recently achieved that uh, the certified practitioner in energy management system training and that was that was excellent. It was in collaboration with the with the Georgia Institute of Technology, and which was working off a Department of Energy fifty thousand one ready navigator program. So there was the a big collaboration there between the DOE, Georgia Institute of Technology, AEE, all coming together to make working on a system of something as practical and applicable across across industries with a structured framework. So just those that's an example of of just great collaboration and learning and training that's available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, AE has actually four different certifications for 50,001, which is um, very interesting. So now that we've talked about training, we've talked about communication, we've, we've talked about all these workforce development, let's just wrap up with this last question. What is one word that summarizes what is required for successfully engaging employees in energy management if you had to choose one word 
how would you wrap it up? Nice and pretty with a bow. Momentum. The It's not a once-off. You can't, you need to continue engaging employees, continue working with employees, continue on the momentum, keep putting fuel on the fire, keep blowing the fire, keep stoking the fire and continue on with it. And that's, that's critical. It's not a once-off event. Momentum is key. And once you've got the momentum going, uh, Severia was talking earlier on about building operators, getting out there, finding it, running things on the own. And that's what comes. That's what comes from the momentum you get. That's a good one. I, I was actually thinking momentum. And um, I think I'm, I'm very closely aligned to you in the sense of the word I would I use is commitment. I think it encompasses this idea of dedication of the organization to really prioritize energy management. Uh, it isn't a one-time event. It's something that should be structured over time. Um, and it takes commitment and leadership to have the willingness of employees that embrace these new behaviors, whether they're energy savings or cost savings. Um, and then, as you mentioned, Andrew, the same idea of this ongoing efforts to sustain engagement and continuously find ways to do improvement and, and change those practices. And with momentum, I think that's kind of the nice spark that keeps people committed once we see a little bit of opportunity and we see some things there. Um, but you almost need, whether you get those early wins or not, you need to be committed to some sort of result and that plan. And the plan can change over time, of course, because you know things things change. You adjust whether you need to uh, go faster or, or uh, you need timing for budgeting or whatever the case is. But I think if you're committed to a good program and you're committed to this idea of finding ways to find continual improvement and to provide support to those, then there'll be successful programs out there. I think with that, yeah, with that commitment and that momentum that you get, I was reminded me of a time when I was I was driving into the mine early one morning on the way to work as some employers were driving out of the mine on their way home. As we passed each other at the security gate, the driver, he rolls down his window and he leans out his car to me and he calls out and he points to the guys in the back. He says, we're carpooling because, and they all called out, energy matters. And they, they drove off in, in high spirits. And that was just as a result of that, that commitment and the momentum built, just getting that feedback and getting employees to to act like that and, and feel their way is, is, is priceless. It's a great story. And I, I agree. I think the, the beauty of commitment and momentum is that we all want to feel the work we do every single day is valuable. Right? No one wants to just show up to a job. We, we want careers and we want to leave an impact. We want to leave, a, leave our buildings or our sites or wherever we are and know that what we've done matters. And if, you know, here, having a group of guys pull up in a car and, and say they're carpooling for energy matters, that means that they've, they've bought in. They're enrolled in that culture of energy management, energy savings. Um, and I think if we can go, if we can provide training and do things in such a way where we frame these programs that people feel like they're coming to work and their work, their day-to-day -day actions matter on a larger picture for their building, for their organization, and, you know, and for the world, the way things go um, as far as energy conservation, then it makes it more fulfilling to show up to work. Because now you're there and you're part of a larger process instead of just, you know, you're not task driven for the day. You, there's a purpose and a meaning behind what you do. And I think, we, I mean, who doesn't want to go to work where it feels meaningful? What we have done matters. I like that. Well, thank you both for your technical knowledge and sharing your personal stories. But the podcast is not done yet because there's still one more section. Um, AEE, we like to say that we're a family. You guys have both been to our events, so you know 
when we say we're a family, we actually mean it. We love to get to know the people behind the profession. And in fact, AE's first value is that we put people first. So I like to ask just a few questions about the person behind the profession um, and, you know, quickly as possible, but I know that we like to hear stories. So how do you like to stay active? Okay. So um, I, I am addicted to many different things, uh, bike riding, martial arts. I play hockey. Um, I, I'm one of those people who's up at five o'clock in the morning so I can walk to the gym uh, listening to a podcast or listening to something that gets me excited and motivated. So I stay active just by lots of different things. I have a 20 year old and an 18 year old. So I'm either at a gym or at a hockey game or doing something to, to feel like I'm, I'm moving. I move, movement is, is key. I agree. And one of my passions is really running. I, I love the freedom and exhilaration you get from, from running. It's getting out there. It's you getting the, the blood pumping, you getting the exercise you need, and it's it's just a great way to to get out there and just blow away the worries of the world while you while you're out there exercising and and doing good for yourself. So running really is a, a passion of mine and something that uh, I love to do. What is your favorite holiday? Oh my goodness gracious me! The, I was born and raised in in Zimbabwe, and right up in the northeast uh, corner, north northwest corner of Zimbabwe, there are are two incredible places. One is the Victoria Falls. It's one of the seven natural wonders of the world. And that is just an incredible experience going there when the water is flowing. Zimbizi River is pumping the, the mist that you get from the thundering of the waterfall as the water comes up in there. It's actually like torrential rain and walking along there is just is an experience. And then that river then flows and into what they call Lake Kariba, which is one of the largest, well, used to be one of the largest, used to be the, the largest man-made lake in the world until Hoover Dam was built. And it's incredible they have these these houseboats which you can rent to go on the lake and you cruise on these houseboats, you anchor on shore and there's just nature all around you. At nighttime, you can hear the lions roaring, you can see the elephants eating off the bank, there's hippopotamuses in the water, you look, you shine your light at night, and you can see the crocodile eyes around the boat, and it's a, just a, a truly amazing experience in touch with nature, and the stress just flops off you while you're out there, it's just an incredible experience. I, I'm simple, Thanksgiving, I, I love, <laughs> um, I love eating, I come from a big Italian family, so for me, Thanksgiving is always an amazing holiday, because tremendous amounts of food, all the family together, just laughing, having fun. And we're not worrying about who has what gifts or who got who in Secret Santa. Um, it's just purely about food and spending time together laughing. So that's, that's always been a personal favorite of mine. I love the two different takes of holiday there. I think it adds a little extra um, spice to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is the last question, but probably the most important one that you'll get asked. And I know you guys are both passionate about your work and you take such pride in your work. But besides that, what else are you passionate about? What is your biggest passion? You know, I think I, I've always loved through the work that I do to be able to help others, help buildings and help uh, people grow as, you know, to leave them inspired and want them to grow and, and do things. Um, so my professional life has always been kind of inspired with this, you know, altruistic mindset of giving and caring for others. Um, on a personal side, I, I kind of live the same values at home where, 
uh, I'm very involved in, in my faith, very involved in my church. And uh, in, besides instructing engineers, I'm also instructing, you know, teenagers uh, outside in, in religious education programs. And uh, I just want to leave the world in a better place. So if, if there's something I'm truly passionate about, it's uh, leaving a mark on people where they feel that the time together that we shared was valuable to them and they came away from it better. So just building a bit on that reminded me when I was when I grew up in, in Bulawayo in, in Zimbabwe, just before the the annual rains, sometimes it would get so hot and it would get so dry that there used to be a joke that when the traffic lights turned green, the, the goats would, would try to eat them. But there was obviously no truth to the goat eating traffic light part, but what it did in us was instill this culture of, of minimize waste, maximize efficiency resources were limited particularly water and we had to find creative and innovative ways to to conserve water so that philosophy of, of minimizing waste maximizing efficiency is something that i've grown up with and i'm, I'm very very passionate about and unfortunately it aligns just severe was saying it lines very much in line with what i end up doing now is just aligned with that passion of minimizing waste and maximizing efficiency well, thank you both for sharing not only your technical knowledge, but a little bit about yourself. Um, this has been Full of Energy, and AE podcast. We'll see you next month.